0: How do you estimate the impact of the global shift towards net zero and emission reduction on job creation in terms of the number of jobs required, particularly in the sectors most significantly affected by this transformation? Can we estimate that? Our estimate here is we need
1: anywhere between, I know I can say, between 30 million jobs and at the higher end, we are looking at about 60, 65 million jobs globally that don't exist today. These are new jobs that need to be created. And the reason why I'm giving a larger uh, breadth over there is I mentioned that not every country, not every company will transition at the same time. And this will happen over time, and it will be a phased transition. And that is the reason why we are counting, saying we can't really arrive at one number and then say, that's how many jobs that are needed. At a lower end, it's going to be at least 30 million jobs, new jobs that need to be created. And at the higher end, it's about 60, 65 million new jobs that need to be created. And those jobs will need to be created by 2030, which means that if you are in uni right now, by the time you hit the job market, these new jobs are going to be available. If you're already employed, there's a good mm-hmm. chance that if you upskill yourself, you can get paid more. I think that's the message that we want to convey. And by doing that, you're going to actually help the industry transition in a way better way, a way better fashion. And it's got to be a planned, faced transition, not haphazard and it's got to be coordinated. right? Only then uh, we will have limited number of shocks to the job market as well as to the overall economy. So this is a transformation. When people say net zero and they say emission reduction, what people are not understanding is this is a global transformation of the economy. It's a transformation of the global economy altogether. It's not just emission reduction because you can't just reduce emissions on its own. You have to look at it from how each and every sector needs to transform.
0: Which sectors do you think will be impacted the most? Which ones will need to go out there and find a whole bunch of new people doing whole different stuff? I guess energy probably the sector. energy sector yes. will be yes. very much yes. Yes. impacted energy, by it. Uh,
1: uh, transportation and logistics, built environment, essentially the real estate uh, sector both commercial as well as residential real estate, massive impact in terms of new jobs, new capabilities that they will need to develop. But we used to say in in typical sort of research practice, we used to say that many of these sectors are basically one trick ponies, meaning they can do one item, one set of products. They can rinse and repeat it several times, right? But here is a situation where these one trick ponies will necessarily need to learn new tricks of the game. And they have to learn this pretty much like, a, like an open heart surgery because you can't stop operations for five years, learn new skills and start your company again. No, you've got to stay in the present, which means that you need those jobs, but at the same time, you will need to create
0: new ones altogether. I'm thinking of, for example, agriculture, Or anything that is like related to food production, you cannot just stop producing food. Absolutely. What do we do with it? You cannot
1: stop (laughs) producing food. And as we say today, we can only produce food for a one billion planet if we didn't use fossil fuel at all. Fossil Mm -hmm. fuel is there in fertilizers, fossil fuel is there. And if we stopped it completely, the land that is available on the planet Land that is cultivable and we can produce food out of it, it will only serve you food for one billion people. That means that the remaining seven billion population by 2030, seven billion, whatever, gonna be an eight billion planet. As such, so the remaining seven billion by 2030 will be going hungry. So, what are the alternatives there? Are we going organic agriculture? Are we going to try vertical farming? What are those alternatives? We need people to research that. We need people to identify the solutions. We need people to test it out. We need alternatives to start coming in. There are a number of technologies that are available at scale. But these need to be implemented in the food production space. I would say similar case. Yeah, yeah, similar case with steel and cement. Very important stuff for our construction and all that. The, uh, the mixtures are changing. The manufacturing process itself is changing. The source of heat is changing. There's higher electrification. There are more demands in terms of energy efficiency. It's a complete transformation altogether, right? And if companies don't transform, they are shooting, the, shooting themselves in the foot in terms of competitiveness. So you don't have a choice. You've got to invest into it. But at the same time, you've got to invest in it in a way in which you also plan for the future
0: in terms of the jobs. So what's the recipe for an employer, for a company to basically go on the market and find the right talents? What kind of skills or what is that an employer should be offering? to a pool of potential employees to get them on board? What is that is going to be relevant in terms of the hiring process for the companies? And and do you see Helix being able to support any of that? Do we have an idea from the researches that we have in hand
1: to support that process? So we looked at a number of factors that are important for this transition, right? And then we said, okay, there are common factors and there are sector-specific factors. The sector-specific factors are the skills that are needed for that specific sector. Counter arguments that come in, a number of HR consultancy firms can come back and tell you, yeah, you're already at the 60th percentile or the 70th percentile of what this sector pays currently. Fantastic job. That's your current state. That does not take into account how Mm -hmm. your sector is transforming and what your competitors are doing. And who your competitor could be in two years' time. I gave you the example of Octopus Energy. gave you the example of Tesla. Teslas and Octopus Energies are coming in every single set, right? These companies come out six years, five years down the line, and they take away a number of the jobs from you. So you've got to be ready for it. The traditional HR salary benchmarking is not going to be useful for you in this transition. That's my number one factor here. And based on our research, I think there is a lot of work to be done in this area. Secondly, Uh, a basic portfolio of benefits. We have some uh, elements that we have captured, which are sector-specific, but at a very uh, broad sense, employees globally, employees value, work-life balance and hence the ability to have sufficient number of days or basically leave and health benefits. I would say there is a lot to learn in these industrial sectors. There's a lot to learn from other sectors. I'm not going to talk about which sector to learn, but there's a lot to learn because in these industrial sectors, the common standards that we are seeing are quite cracked. So our research says that, you know, in a number of countries where there is health and social care covered by the government, there are no health benefits additionally that is being offered by the employer at all. That also means that your HR consultants can come in and say, yeah, this is industry standard today, but think about what happens tomorrow because your competitor is not here as of today. Thirdly, uh, many of these industrial sectors have what we call dead-end jobs, meaning people get in at a certain level and there is no progress for the next six, seven, ten years because the, the level above that is managerial and for that they don't have the skills. So they will stay at the same position when they started the job, maybe at age 20 and when they retire at 65, they will be having pay raises, but they will stay pretty much within the same path. That's got to change. Uh, that's got to change. Drastically, needs to change. It needs to change. There's got to be a reasonable career progression. I'm not saying there's got to be career progression across leadership, management, etc, cetera, etc cetera for everyone. No, everyone is not ready for it. But there's got to be additional skills. There's got to be a we have reasonable career progression in these jobs. and all of these industrial sectors are ripe for it. right there's a lot there's a lot of work to do in these areas. and companies that have done really well have done this through a number of programs which are I can say simplistic. An example of that is volunteering, where people get leadership opportunities in a volunteering context and thereby develop their skills to position themselves for promotions. We have some excellent examples there. Another one that that we also see is the ability to build wealth with their current compensation. I'm not saying you create millionaires out of every single employee. I'm not saying that. But from our research, what we are looking at is many of these people in industrial sectors are today struggling to buy a home. Right, The ability to get a mortgage, ability to plan a reasonable retirement, uh, ability to finance a children's education where necessary, ability to put uh, emergency funds aside, have some small investing portfolio, none of this exists. It is with a very small bracket, I would say largely managerial employees who are able to do that large section of the blue-collar workforce does not have this capability at all. We are a country that originally focused on blue-collar workers, right? We were a country that uh, focused on manufacturing and mining, et cetera, et cetera. We've gone down to a point where that inequality has gone massively beyond control. The ability to build wealth does not exist. And then we're looking at A fifth factor, which is essentially fair workforce policies. Many of the industrial sectors have workforce policies that are compliant with the law, or I can say just compliant with the law. They can do a lot better. They can do a lot better. Things like reporting, things like tank checks, things like there's a lot of technology that can come in. There's a lot of things that can be made easier Workforce policies have to change drastically. A sixth factor, which I look at is basically engagement of the workforce with the organization beyond just the fact that they collect a paycheck. We haven't seen this extent of disengagement any time in the past. That is a reality today. There are like number of factors which have come in, one of the things is number one, which is basically a salary or wage structure that is proportionate to current living standards and all that. But beyond this, the ability to commit. See, one one good example that I can tell you is, many of the people in my previous generation worked one single job their entire career. 30 years with the same company, right? 30 years in in that company, one single employer, 35 years with the same employer or whatever, right? Today, we see people switching jobs in five years, sometimes in two years, three years, whatever. So you've got to engage that workforce beyond being a provider of the paycheck. I would say many of the industrial firms that we've surveyed, collected data, interviewed, et cetera, they are just a payroll provider, Right the extent of disengagement is shocking, really shocking. And that can't be the case when you want to execute that massive transformation in your business, going net zero, massive transformation that needs to happen. You got to stay competitive, you got to stay profitable, you got to have the right workforce. You can't do that with a disengaged workforce. These are the common elements that every uh, company in these industrial sectors uh, will need to work on. There are a number of sector-specific ones, but here I think we would restrict ourselves to the common elements based on our data gathering that we've had and looking at the, uh, the number of people changing jobs, et cetera, and what they talk about. So I think let's restrict ourselves here, but when we go into other episodes where we're talking very specifically about a sector, we can talk about some of the sector-specific interventions that have to be done
0: in order to engage your workforce. I have the feeling that probably the most traditional sectors will be the ones that will be the most affected by the change of wind, uh, likeness of the workforce as well. Because I believe there are a bunch of newer businesses out there addressing like modern day demands and needs that probably they have that sort of work, uh, like workforce engagement yeah. in mind. And they make an effort to make sure that the people working in the company, they're happy. Maybe they don't pay the highest salaries sometimes, but they have very happy people who come to the office and hang out with their colleagues. And I've seen some traditional businesses, like looking at all those things and trying to make an effort in that sense, in that direction. Though, I guess if the organization is very big, this transformation becomes more challenging. Very true. Very true. Yes. It's a whole bunch of yes. reasons uh, yeah, which are like organizational, which are related to how you change your office spaces, for example, this, this kind of things. But it all this all drives towards the idea that, yes, that's a thing that needs to be taken care of. And maybe we don't have yet, or some specific some specific uh, sectors, companies don't have yet, the recipe, the formula to make that happen. And probably, I would say, because there are some probably some sectors that are just less appealing than others, I would say, for the new generations. If you look at anything that is digital media, for example, super appealing. Everyone wants to work in a tech company or and those tech companies they make sure that the workforce is like super engaged they have a lot of fun they have slides inside the offices and all and candies all around and all that but that is not exactly the same in
1: industrial you know, industrial power sector
0: like comp- industrial or least, uh, industrial sector and all that so i guess that those are the sectors that will feel the pain Correct. the most Correct. when that workforce will be demanding that as a sort of a kind of like deal yep. breaker um, thing that they would want to see in the the job. And I guess that's where probably organizations like Helix can probably step in and help and give a hand, help out, kind of like sharing that information, but also sharing the transformation process formula to engage more and make all those things happen. We can help bring the right uh, framework
1: and strategy for this transformation. And we can also help bring the right industry experts in order to work through this transformation, through this transition process as such, right? One of the the major challenges companies are going to face is what you mentioned just now, Francesco, right? Newer companies in digital areas, et cetera, media, et cetera, where they have a much more engaged workforce. And... The barrier to entry is not too high, right? Which means that as an employee, hmm. I can learn a few things and go work there. Why would I slog in industrials, right? That's another question to look at.
0: Another question Absolutely. to look at.
1: Another hmm. aspect in the related area is in the past, many of these, I can say, blue collar to white collar transitions typically took place in large cities, uh, metropolis, like London and Paris and Mumbai, for that matter, or Singapore, et cetera. But today, to start any of these businesses in a small town, those barriers don't exist. And if you thought as an industrial founder, industrial company, CEO, if you thought, ah, that's not going to happen in my area, I'm in a remote village in West Yorkshire and there's nothing else other than this, right? Sorry, you're wrong. Sorry, you're wrong. I know of companies that have been built and scaled out of very small villages and then moved to, moved to larger cities. There are, there's basically a game development firm in a remote location near Leeds and they've hired 50 people. If you thought, ah, this is not going to happen in my area, it's happening. There are places like uh, in uh, in southern India where traditionally it was a manufacturing workforce. Literally, we can say everybody worked in manufacturing because that is all that existed around, around this place. There are a couple of tech firms right now and combined, uh, they have about 100,000 employees. So, yeah, be
0: aware of these threats as well. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. And one thing that probably is going to happen is also what well, that is probably happening already is just that naturally new hubs will yeah. be created. Even the government could step in and say, "I'm gonna help companies to have more people, more yeah. skilled people to move from London yeah. to Manchester or like other yeah. areas in the UK, or." Uh, Provide incentives. Uh, yeah, exactly. There, there will be areas. So it's coming because yes. costs are lower and because governments have all the interest expanding and not agglomerating okay. too much okay. in one spot. Uh, the talent and opportunities for the people to work. So, this happened in yeah. banking a few years ago.
1: Right. Uh, mm-hmm. If you recall, a few years ago, many of the large banks moved their back office and technology jobs to other UK cities. What they did was they kept only the front-facing jobs in London and they moved everybody else out to Birmingham, to Manchester, to Halifax, whatever. The reason for that is cheaper real estate
0: and uh, cost of living is also cheaper. So why not? This is all very interesting and very engaging to talk about, especially because this is also so imminent. Like we're not talking about a far future or something that is happening... Maybe a couple of decades ahead. Like this is something that is happening in the next five years, probably. And the feeling is that employers in every sector need to be, and the feeling is that employers in every sectors they need to be very aware of what is happening and those challenges they are going towards to. Be aware of it. Nowadays. Plan
1: for it. Upskill your workforce. These are the ways forward, definitely.
0: And that requires strategy, that requires research, that requires a whole bunch of knowledge that needs to get inside the walls of a company. And I'm sure that uh, Helix is working on this and he's able to yeah. provide yeah. such information. Yeah. We already work research.
1: with a few carbon intensive firms in cement and oil and gas. Uh, we already work with a few firms. We already work with a bank in this space. Uh, There's uh, a couple of asset managers that we're helping in this process. So not only looking at the emissions reduction alone, but looking at a holistic transition and planning for that transition in a methodical seven-step process. Simple, easy to understand, easy to communicate to your teams, easy to communicate to your investors and the general public and follow a structured methodology to move step by step in an incremental fashion, slowly, slowly reduce emissions, but at the same time, remain profitable, remain competitive, and engage a workforce.
0: It seems there is every reason to give this a try. For now, our immediate step is to extend an invitation for interested individuals to connect with us. Anyone eager to collaborate or learn more can visit the elix.earth website and reach out to, to our organization. We're ready to work together on addressing those issues. This conversation has been enlightening, highlighting the rapid changes happening in our world. It's fascinating to learn about all those developments. Special thanks to Somi for sharing all those insights today. I'm looking forward to our next interaction and continuing this engaging discussion in the upcoming chapters. Thank you.